I'd now like to invite four of my colleagues up to the front uh, to share with you how we tell the human story in each of our subject areas here at Oakcrest. I'm very interested in having you all hear a little bit about how we, and our own disciplines, um, see the humanities and how we fundamentally tell the story of human persons, their lives, their hopes, and their moral developments. I would like my colleagues to share with you all um, the topics and teaching techniques that are unique to their disciplines and allow them to convey the human story to their students and as well how they are able to help their students realize their own place in this narrative. So at this time, I would like to invite Miss um, Elizabeth Black, a Latin master teacher who has been teaching Latin, literature, and logic and rhetoric and music appreciation at Oakcrest. This is her seventh year at Oakcrest. So Elizabeth, please come forward. I would also like to invite Miss Angela Fortunato on the science faculty who has been teaching science in the middle school for 10 years at Oakcrest. Angela, please come up. I would like to invite Miss Holly Sauls, who teaches sacred scripture to the ninth grade and moral theology to juniors. She has also taught Spanish and metaphysics and has been at Oakcrest since 2007, 12 years. Thanks, Holly. Come on up. And I would like to invite Miss Ginny Bowles, our Dean of Students, and who teaches 11th grade American history and 6th grade ancient history. This is her fifth year at Oakcrest. Please come on up, Ginny. Oh, thanks. Is this on? Can you hear me? Great. Okay, excellent. Okay. Can you all see us? No? Okay. <laughs> Perfect. It's okay. Got it. Sweet. Can you hear us with this one? Excellent. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks to Angela, Holly, Ginny, and Elizabeth for joining me now. So this is a slightly different way to approach a lecture in the humanities. We wanted to make it a little bit more interactive and also for you all to get a taste of what it is that we do here at Oakcrest as teachers. Um, the humanities is a topic that I'm considering very broadly, so we do have a scientist, a theologian, an ancient historian, and a master of literature uh, in our panel. Um, so it's a, it's a topic very broadly construed, but I would like each one of them to share with you all how it is that they approach teaching the humanities, how it is that they tell the human story. And I think, Angela, it might be great to have you kick things off because your subject might be a little bit unexpected, I think, to be on this panel, but it's so important that the sciences be understood as fundamentally a story of the human experience. Thanks, Paula. Um, so listening to Paula's talk about the, this human story in our various uh, disciplines made me think of a, the, a professional development program I went on a few years ago. And the, um, one of the outcomes, it was about educating innovators. And some of you might remember when I went there, went on this um, program. And when I came back, one of the things that I really kind of resolved for myself is um, to try to tell more of the stories in science with the idea of maybe our students, maybe part of the problem of that, we're, that we're having as a country of the lack of innovation 
is because we te have tended over the past few decades to teach science in a very static way. This is what we know now. And, um, and yet, what the reality, the reality of these scientists and innovators and um, inventors, right, has been that they have, um, they've, they've done trial and error, they've fig figured things out, they have real, you know, real life stories, they're real people, and that they, um, that, that they've brought forth the understanding through time and that isn't, we're not done, right? We, we still have room, and I wanted the, our students to have that sense of that they can be innovators too and that they have a, a place in that, that story of understanding. So one of this, one example I was thinking of, um, I'm just gonna tell a few, is um, whenever I teach the conservation of mass, which comes up in sixth grade science, eighth grade chemistry, 10th grade chemistry, et cetera, um, is th it's a very interesting story. Lavoisier, I think is um, the guy's name. And he, he's famous for this painting, a lot, probably a lot of people remember this painting with him and his wife with a lot of glassware around and you can see what kind of measurement uh, tools they used back then. And, um, but he, he's the one who came up with the law of conservation of mass. So to tell his story is really interesting. And of course, the, I teach mostly in the middle school. The, the best part where the girls really kind of s literally squeal, which is always fun, um, is that when he, when, um, he, I think he was, about, he was 28, he married his wife and she was only 13. And of course, they're that age. So <laughs> then we get into that discussion. Um, <laughs> but it fits in really well with, uh, he died in the French Revolution, he was guillotined. So there's all these interesting things and part of it was because he was so precise about his measurements. So um, that's a very, and I like to tell stories also that where they can see mar real marriages and, and marriages where the wife is, where the woman is supported in her science. So he actually let her, not let her, he, she was educated and she participated in the chemistry experiments. And she's credited with that. Credited with that. Another story, of course, is Pierre and Marie Curie. The eighth graders um, go into that quite a bit. We usually watch this movie, which I highly recommend, Greer Garson and Walter Pidgeon, um, Madame Curie. And they go into the story and, and see, and then write a reflection about them, um, about her in particular. And of course, she's kind of a hero of science um, but we also, we study her whole life, and she definitely had some flaws, too. Um, and to, to show the real people, so you get into the real people. She um, was known to have an extramarital affair after her husband died, so, um, with a married man. Um, but she's not, a, you know, she's not kind of a patron saint of chemistry. And now, now we do have a patron saint of chemistry, um, who's, who's going to be beatified in May, um, Guadalupe de Ortiz de Landasri. I think I've lost the question. Um, so I'm trying to give them real stories of um, where you see, and the idea is that innovation will come more when we see that, that we have mistakes. We, science needs there to be um, not mistakes like we don't know we're, we're, we're doing kind of mistakes, but, um, but learning from things that don't work and, and, and then changing the design a little bit and that, that's intrinsic, so part of, of to science, and part of my job, a big part of my job, I feel like, especially in the middle school, is I teach how to do science, not just the static knowledge of science. Um, and that's a big, I think, what you get when you tell the, the personal stories of, of the scientists and innovators. That's fantastic, thank you, Angela. So this idea of how, thank you, yeah. 
So this idea of trial and error and, and the process, that, that, that's how scientific discoveries are made, by a process of trial and error. And, and a willingness to risk failure, but that that can actually be really quite fun, that the process of learning and that, that possibility of failing can actually produce excitement and, and anticipation. I think, Ginny, you might like to speak to that as well. Yeah, thank you. So history is obviously full of human stories, and we learn different humans, their good qualities, their leadership, how they influenced historical events, their poor qualities, their poor choices. But one thing that I like to do in my classes, and that I, most of my colleagues, all my colleagues at, Oakley, at Oakcrest do, learning has to be fun. Because we're not only learning about important people, but we're focusing on the human person that is in the seat in the classroom. And our students are going to learn more if they're enjoying what they learn. So the, the classes themselves need to be fun. They need to be excited about what they learn. And you can the fun thing, especially as a history teacher, is when my students come back and say, Spoles, guess what? Especially with the 11th graders with the American history. Some of them come in, I'm not really into history. I don't really like American history. But then over the course of the year, as they're learning, their American history, then they'll come back from Christmas break or spring break and say, guess what, Miss Bowles? I passed a sign on the road that said Civil War battlefield happened here. They never would have even noticed those signs before, but as they start to learn and start to know kind of the timeline, they're building an appreciation for what they see around them. So it's that attentiveness to history. The sixth graders also have so much fun connecting. We do ancient civilizations, so they start to patterns between different civilizations. And as we're learning the next civilization, they say, oh, that's just like what happened to Mesopotamia. That's just like what happened to Babylon. And they start to get excited when they realize that this learning is, it connects with other things. It connect history, different periods of history connect, and history connects with the world that they experience now. So it's part of the formation of the human person. They're going to learn better if they are enjoying the process. Yeah, and I think Elizabeth, you would, might want to follow up on that as, as a student of literature who sees these stories and those processes of trial and error written by so many authors in so many different contexts. Yes, to follow up on the, especially on the history, but also on the science, uh, literature, of course, is um, m mainly comprised of stories that didn't happen. So, you know, what good are the stories? Kind of rigged, I guess. Um, but I was thinking about it in the context of failures, literature is really presenting um, model patterns of behavior or pa models of either virtuous behavior or vicious behavior um, for, the, for the reader to emulate or to find repugnant. So it's teaching, I'm thinking of Anna Karenina right now, um, failure. Um, how do you, how you read Anna's story and um, what do you do with that story? You, you know, wh what does that mean for your own life? Uh, is it something to be modeled? Is it not something to be modeled? And the key thing I think here for literature is, of course, history, it actually happened. Um, but in the context of, of literature, it's the factor of beauty is very important. So the author of the literature has the opportunity to present that behavior as either attractive or unattractive. So it's it's how that, that behavior is presented. And so the students then, in the context of the literature class, the students are always reading these stories with the eye of 
um, what, I what does this story mean for my own story? Um, how, how, what's my story gonna be like? You know, here's someone else's story. Um, am I gonna be this character? Am I going to learn from my mistakes? I'm thinking particularly of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and I'm a little nervous because I just saw a ninth grader here. And they haven't read it yet. And I don't want to spoil the plot. So um, I will just say that um, really in, in that particular piece of literature, we see um, a knight, a model of human behavior, a pattern of how to be excellent, um, failing quite dismally. And then what does he do with that fact? Does he get up and start again? Does he despair? What, what, what does he do with his own sinfulness, with his own failure? And in the context of the, the literature, we can analyze not only how he behaves, um, but how that how should I behave? How, how would I have behaved in that moment? And then the additional um, dimension in which his behavior is presented as either attractive or repugnant. That's all I'm going to say, ninth graders. You're going to have to stay. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. And, and I think, Holly, it's perfect to have you kind of cap this conversation as a theology teacher because in your subject area, we have kind of the true North Star, the ultimate guide for what right behavior is like when you teach the story of Jesus Christ and, and throughout, throughout the Bible, but, but especially in the gospel. So I just wonder if you might speak to how that happens in your classes and how you share that with students. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, in, in the ninth grade, I teach Old Testament and the life of Christ. And in the Old Testament, uh, we see many people experiencing failure and unfaithfulness and infidelity and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, we see that God is always faithful to them. And one of the things, I see many <laughs> of my students here, so <laughs> I, I think you can probably figure this out. But um, one of the most important things when we're, we're talking in theology class, no matter what the level, is that um, no matter what you do, no matter how much you fail, 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 God is never going to leave you. He's always there. And um, I'm going to switch to moral theology right now. We study at the beginning of the year, we study uh, moral relativism so that we can better understand how great it is to have objective uh, truth and goodness. Um, and as the stars would have it, I came into the Catholic Church when I was 21. So I, <laughs> I use my own story to help the girls to understand uh, what it's like to not have objective truth, right? What kind of a life are you leading when you don't know what's right and wrong, really, and you figure it out for yourself? It's quite an adventure. <laughs> um, yes, so I, I tell the bits and pieces of it that I want the girls to hear. <laughs> and um, I think that in theology and in, you know, when we're looking to keep the girls um, in, in the, you know, loving God and wanting to stay close to God the entire time that they are alive, it's always very helpful to hear real life stories. Um, when I go in the senior retreat, that's the year that I tell the girls how I became Catholic. And I can do a one hour or three hour version of it, depending 
upon how, how much they can tolerate. Um, but one of the things that um, I also bring out to them is the importance of friendship. You know, and um, what, what a Christian girl brings to a friendship that no one else can bring. We talk about that. In moral theology, we also talk um, about how can we get people to think deeply. That was one question that at the end of the class the other day, one of the girls asked me, how can we get this out to everybody else <laughs> in the world so that they can understand and appreciate the things that we're studying? We have many, many deep conversations in class, especially in moral theology, um, that give the girls a chance to think about their own position, think about what, um, you know, what's right and wrong, and just mull it over. Because as we all know, choosing what is good and true is not a matter of simply being taught. It's a matter of personal conviction and personal decision that I'm going to go with this. And that's what we try to do in, in theology all the way through from sixth grade all the way through senior year is to pro provide an opportunity where they can understand their own mistakes because as they get older, they do make mistakes. I mean, that's um, pretty handy at in getting to know yourself, right? And getting to understand the mercy of God. Um, and hopefully they, you know, I, I remember, I usually I tell the ninth graders that if they were to come to see me when I got really old, like when I was 50 and in a wheelchair. <laughs> and if they were to come to me and say, Miss Halls, I still believe in God, that would be the best gift that they can give me. And this is, this is the spirit of our theology, and uh, of our theology department. Um, and, you know, bringing, as we guide the, the girls through the journey of their own lives.